Many Christians in the early church were killed because of their faith. Polycarp was one of those. In the year 155, Polycarp, who was the leader of the church in Smyrna, in an area that's now Turkey, uh, he was killed because he, he worshipped Jesus. And because he worshipped Jesus, he wouldn't worship the, the false gods of uh, the people around him, all, the, all the, the Greek and Roman gods, and especially he wouldn't worship a Caesar. Like, they made everyone worship. They were required to worship Caesar. And, you know, back in those days, they actually called Christians atheists. And that doesn't make any sense to us, but the reason they did that is because the Christians, they wouldn't worship all these, you know, many, many, many gods. And they thought, well, Christians, you're, you're atheists. And so uh, eventually, <clears throat> Polycarp was uh, betrayed by someone, and he was, he was arrested. And he was told that he, if he would just burn a little pinch of incense to, to Caesar, and say, Caesar is Lord, he, he would be spared. And they said to him, what harm is it if you do this? And he wouldn't do it. And they brought this man, this elderly man, uh, into the arena to be killed before the, uh, the, the people that were there to, to watch this and uh, enthused as spectators of uh, the, the martyrs. And they told him to, Polycarp, to denounce the Christians, to say about the Christians, to say, away with the atheists. And it said, uh, Polycarp, he, he looked to the, the roaring uh, pagan crowds and he said, away with the atheists. And then they pleaded with him. They said, just for a moment, just curse Christ and, and you could be released. And Polycarp said this. He said, 80 and six years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme the king who saved me? And when they then threatened to burn him alive, Polycarp said, you threatened me with fire which burns for an hour and is soon extinguished. But the fire of future judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly you are ignorant of. But why do you delay? Do whatever you please. And Polycarp was a Christian that, that persevered to the end. Uh, even in the face of not just hardship and death, but being tortured and killed in, a, in an awful way. We are also called persevere to persevere to the end not just in the the easy times uh, but no matter how hard it is to to persevere and to carry on and not to give up our faith in christ in the book of hebrews which is all about persevering uh, with the the superiority of christ at the end of chapter 10, verse 39, it says about Christians, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. There's two different ways to go. There's, there's shrinking back and being destroyed, or there's persevering, keeping our faith and having our souls preserved because of that. This is the second message that we have in this series 
on perseverance. This message is called God's Grace Keeps Us Going. And last week we saw that, that quitting is, is not an option. And if there is one thing that is true above all others, it is that a Christian's saving faith in Jesus Christ is something where quitting is definitely not an option for us. And really there are two huge reasons for that. One is that the consequences of quitting would be disastrous to shrink back and be destroyed. There is there's no salvation apart from faith in Christ. But the other reason, and this one will give you hope, there's warning and then there's hope, it is that God is at work. That God is the one at work in believers, Christian, in your heart, to keep that from happening. God's grace keeps us going. So in this message, we are specifically this week talking about perseverance in faith to the end of the Christian life. I'll have three points for you as we unpack this doctrine and this biblical teaching. And the first is that perseverance is a sign and a fruit of genuine salvation. That perseverance in our faith carrying on to the end is a, is a sign, it's a mark and a fruit, something produced by our salvation, a sign and fruit of genuine, real salvation, being actually born again. You know, right now, there are some things that you would not want to be tested positive for. You would not want to test positive for a coronavirus. But the one thing that you do want to be tested positive for is being a genuine Christian, being actually saved, being actually regenerate or born again. You want to be tested for that and have it positive that this, this is the real deal. Not just that you were exposed to the gospel, not just that you were exposed to Christianity and the offer of salvation, but that you actually caught it. That you are actually, you have been uh, infected, that you test actually positive for salvation. Because there's a lot of people that are exposed to Christianity. Maybe a lot. Maybe they've been brought to church uh, or, or set in front of a, a, a sermon like this week after week, but, it, but they never caught it for real. You want to test positive for it. And what we're going to see from Scripture is that perseverance in faith is one of the symptoms one of the, the effects, one of the, the evidence of being genuinely saved. It's not the cause of us being saved, but it is one of the effects that God works in our hearts and our lives that show that it is the real deal. So for this first point, let me give you a few scriptures. There's so many. These are just tip of the iceberg. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, the book of Hebrews I mentioned is all about persevering and, and carrying on in, in faith, not turning back. I already read Hebrews 10.39. I could read you Hebrews 3.6. Let me read Hebrews 3.14. 
And we have to think about this to catch the logic of the author of Hebrews and what he's saying. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In all these verses, you see all this language about perseverance, uh, standing firm uh, to the end. But here, notice it says, we have come to share in Christ if, so there's a, a, a qualifier, a condition here, we hold our confidence firm to the end. But it, it's not saying that we will come to share in Christ if we do this, that you haven't already shared, uh, become part of Christ, you haven't already become saved uh, until you reach the end. It's saying we have come to share in Christ already. It's a present reality. It's a current fact that is shown to be true if you hold your confidence firm to the end. Last passage I'll give you right now, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, and that was you and I at one point, Maybe it still is, and you need to come to Christ. He's here to redeem those that are hostile to him, if you turn to him. Verse 22, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Our reconciliation is by the death of Jesus Christ, what he did for us. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So God has saved us by Christ, and this is shown to be true if and by you continuing in your faith, stable and steadfast, not moving away from this. These are a few of the verses. I want to say this is also, this is the teaching and belief of First Baptist Church. In our doctrinal statement, in uh, Article uh, 16, I think this is, this is worded really well. There's an article on the perseverance and preservation of the saints. When we talk about saints, we mean it in the biblical way. We mean all those that have, have genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, all those who are regenerate, th- those who are truly saved. And it says, let me read this to you. We believe that such only are real believers as endure unto the end. That their persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from superficial professors. That a special providence watches over their welfare and that they are kept by the power of God through faith unto eternal salvation. That's very well said. So much truth is packed into that statement uh, that I believe is biblically backed up. So it's saying that, that persevering to the end, it says this is the grand mark. It shows the difference between those that are genuinely saved, real Christians, and those who just profess it. They claim to be it. They're, they're, they're Christians on the surface, but that's it. They don't persevere to the end. 
And it also shows that it is, it is God's grace that keeps us going, that he is the one that watches over us, that he is the one that keeps us. So the position that we're talking about here, uh, this is more than just what some might describe as just once saved, always saved. That you, you say a prayer, you, uh, you know, walk an aisle, raise your hand, and, and you're supposedly saved, and now it doesn't matter what happens in your life. Uh, you could you know, believe for that second, and there's no change, and you could completely walk away from Jesus, and well, you were saved for that one second, so you're just always saved. Now, don't get me wrong, I do believe in what would be described as eternal security. But I've come to be convinced that, like the scriptures that we've read in our doctrinal statement, that it is true that it is, it is more than just eternal security. It is also the fact that God will keep being at work in the lives and hearts of genuine believers, that he will keep us firm to the end that he will keep that our faith from being extinguished. He will finish what he began in our lives. So the second point we can look at, if, if the first point is that persevering to the end is a mark of salvation, well, the opposite is also true. So the second point is that lack of perseverance is a sign of false conversion. That for those that don't persevere, this is a mark against him. This is a sign that shows that this was not really the real deal. An example of that would be Judas. And Judas was one of the, the 12 apostles. And he looked like he was the real deal. In fact, so much that they made him the treasurer. They thought this guy could be trusted. But he's the one that ended up betraying Jesus Christ. John seventeen twelve calls him the, the son of destruction. And says that he, he was lost. He was never genuinely saved to begin with. There's so many that uh, may, may look like believers. They may think they're believers. Jesus talked about those that say, Lord, Lord. And at the end, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus, in the uh, parable of the, the seeds and the sower, we talked about this back in, in Luke chapter 8, going through the, the book of Luke. Jesus describes uh, an evangelist going around spreading these seeds, and they represent the gospel message. And they land on, on different ground. And so it's really the parable of the four different types of soils. And, you know, some landed on the, the hard path, and the, the birds come and just take it away right away. They don't even, nothing happens. But there's others that seem to sprout up, at least for a while. And, uh, some, but they don't all last. And then later on, when, when Jesus is explaining this to them, what's going on, he says to them that those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But those who have no root, they believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches of, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. But to me, I think the, the verse that really convinced me that this is the truth uh, is by uh, John, 1 John 2.19. It 
And I just couldn't get away from the logic of this verse and what John was teaching, inspired by the, the Holy Spirit. And in that chapter, he's talking about false teachers that he even calls, you know, antichrist. Not the antichrist, but those that are they're against Christ. And in verse 19, he says this. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. There's just a logic in what John says that leads me to believe that uh, what we said is the first two points in our message just are true. Genuine believers will persevere. But those that, that, that go out, those that abandon the faith, those that leave, it's a mark that they were never genuine Christians. They were never the real deal to begin with. It wasn't a real thing. Because it says, if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But you know, sometimes there are people that they, they seem like they're just such genuine uh, believers. It seems like they are just have the, the, the fire of faith uh, burning so bright in their life. And sometimes they, they walk away from the faith. They, they abandon everything. What's going on? Excited for a while and then they leave. Well, I made a little video to help us kind of understand what's, what's going on. Let's watch that now. Over this break from school, I don't know what your kids have been learning, but my son Luke taught himself how to make fire from flint and steel. And he got pretty good at, at doing that. But you know what? Unless you're on an island or you're playing Survivor, you know, what's the point? We know that there is a, a better way to make fire. Now kids, don't play with fire. You could get hurt or burn your house down. I'm a dad. This is a job for us. This is how you build a good fire. Quickly and easily. Not taking all that time. This is the simple way. Got our log here. We got our, our fluid here. And we're going to uh, put this on liberally here. Uh, good amount. All right. Here we go. And just like that, we have a beautiful, roaring fire. Now this fire, this will keep going, well, if the log catches. See, if the log doesn't catch fire, this is just gonna be beautiful for a little bit and then it's gonna go out because it's gonna be nothing but the gasoline that's burning. Here's the point of all this. There's a lot of people that seem to come to Christ. And it's not really that the log ever catches fire. Instead, all that's going on, it's like the, something on the surface. It's like gasoline that, that burns for a while, but the log itself never catches. Some people seem to have a big flame of faith and they seem to be very excited about God, maybe talking about Him, maybe uh, temporarily having a change in their life. But then it evaporates, it goes away very quickly. And that's because it was never really the real thing. It was just on the surface. It was just emotions. Or maybe they were going after God's blessings instead of God himself. Or maybe it was about just the, the people and the, the connections. And it wasn't really God changing them from the inside out. It wasn't genuine saving faith. 
real saving faith, the kind, when it's real, it perseveres. When someone becomes a Christian for real, there's an internal change. It's not just on the surface. Scripture talks about uh, receiving a, a new heart, being born again. This is a lasting change. And when this happens, God does not let the fire go out. God is the one that is uh, attending to the fire. He is preserving it, keeping it from going out. That's one of the marks, one of the signs of it being genuine, saving faith. You know, another sign along with this, as long as we're talking about fire, is, well, smoke. They say where, where there's smoke, there's fire. Now, we know that smoke is produced by fire. It's not that smoke is the cause of the fire, it's the other way around. So when there is a fire, yeah, there, there's going to be smoke. It's evidence that there really is fire. So if saving faith is like having this, uh, this flame of faith that is going, that's for real, the change in life that we have is going to be an evidence of it. There's going to be a new love for God a love for God himself, not just his benefits and his blessings, but God himself. There's going to be a love for, for people, a love for people that's caused by a love for God. And there's going to be good works and good deeds. But again, these things are not what caused us to be saved. These are the results, the, the, the fruit, the, the smoke of being saved that is an evidence that it's the real thing. Salvation is not by works. Salvation is by faith alone. Uh, it's by Jesus Christ's work. It's given to us as a gift of grace. We didn't deserve it, and we're received by faith alone. But it's going to be accompanied by good works in the same way that fire is accompanied by smoke. Of course, there can be such a thing as people doing good works that are not really saved. And that would be the same way that someone uh, could take a smoke bomb and, and throw it behind a wood pile and have it look like there's uh, smoke coming from it. So when someone is actually saved, it's the good works that are coming from their faith in Christ, that are coming from their, their salvation. Uh, it's not false good works that are coming from some kind of false faith. faith. They're connected and coming from their new changed life. So perseverance in the faith is a sign that it's genuine. Uh, good works is a, another confirmation that it is genuine. Uh, but one thing I think that's important to point out as well is that there can be times when the flame of faith, even in a genuine Christian, seems to really go down. And we don't see it the way that it ought to be there. Maybe we're not seeing smoke, we're not seeing the evidence of it. And there can be times when it seems like the fire of faith has almost gone out. But from all the scripture that we're looking at, what I have to conclude is that God never lets the flame completely go out in a genuine Christian. That he will always keep that alive, uh, even if it's for time being under the surface. Back in my youth pastor days, uh, one time in the backyard we had a, a big bonfire and a big party. And afterwards, I thought I put the fire out. But the next day I got up and I looked out the window and yeah, there was, there was no fire in the fire pit. Uh, things were fine. And then literally like a minute later, I looked out the window again at the fire pit and there were huge flames. It looked like it was coming up like 15 feet. 
And what had happened is that the wind had knocked one of the uh, plastic chairs that was next to the fire and had knocked it into the fire pit. And there was enough of uh, hot embers underneath the surface still that it caught this you know, petroleum-based chair on fire and made a huge uh, flare-up again. Sometimes there are people that are like that, where there's not a lot on the surface. And that's not right. That's not how it ought to be. But God is preserving that flame of faith even underneath, and he's not letting it go out. You remember in Luke, Peter said that he was going to follow Christ to the end, and Jesus said, no, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. If it was up to us, we would lose our salvation. Our faith would fail. But God, for his children, the ones that he has genuinely saved, he is going to tend that fire. He will keep it from going out. And we praise God that he is able uh, to keep that, that fire going, sometimes even under the surface, and that he's able to cause us to persevere the way that uh, he caused Peter to persevere, even when there was times where he, uh, was, had for a while, betrayed Christ. But I do want to say, if when you look at your life, if there is no evidence, if there is no, no smoke rising uh, that is giving evidence from this, you, you should be worried. Because best case scenario means you're a Christian that is, uh, you are out of step with God and you need to turn and to repent and to fan uh, that flame back where it can be seen. That's best case scenario. But the reality is there's many people that it might mean that you were just, you were just a, uh, a, a gasoline-soaked log and the gas burned away and the log never really caught. You were exposed to Christianity, but it, you never actually got, got infected by it. That can be a real thing. And so if, if you're not seeing signs of this, if I were to talk to you, I, I would be genuinely worried. I would not be able to give you any, any assurance. And what you would need to do, though, the, the, the beautiful thing is there's still time. Turn to God. Turn away from your rebellion or your indifference uh, that, that you have towards God. Turn to him and realize that you need Jesus Christ to save you from your serious sin. And put your trust in him. Maybe it might be for the first time for real as your Savior, trusting in Jesus the Lord uh, to save you. And that he has done all that is required. Stop trying to cling to your own works or whatever it is that may have short-circuited this from being the real thing before. And trust in him. As I said, lack of perseverance, it's a sign of false conversion. Because a really regenerated Christian uh, will persevere to the end. As I said, I didn't always believe this. Because I thought that if I had to add persevering in faith, that would be like adding some kind of work to salvation. That, well, you have to have faith in Christ, and now here's an extra thing you have to do. I changed my mind because of two things. I said one was passages like 1 John 2.19 just compelled me that this is scriptural and true. But the other was finally coming to the realization that persevering in faith is not a work that we do. 
This is something by the grace of God. This is something that, that he causes. This is something that he does, that he affects in our lives. So the last point today is that, that perseverance is a work of God. Perseverance in the faith, this is a work of God. It is a work of his grace for us. Because if it wasn't, if it was up to us, uh, you know, there, there, there are people that can really blow a good thing. They can just have a good thing and just blow it. And if left to myself, left to my strength, I mean, I would, I, I would blow my salvation like the Detroit Lions blowing a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter if it was up to me and to my strength. But I don't because of God's grace and his work in me. John MacArthur once said, if you could lose your salvation, you would. If it was left us, we would blow it. But what we have is we have God at work. And we have God who is a trinity. And when you look at scripture, we see all three members of the trinity working together in unity, in cooperation, in your life, so that you, Christian, will persevere to the end. You know, if you read, you could find pretty much everything I'm about to say in Ephesians 1 or Romans 8, spend time reading through those chapters. But let me give you a sampling here. We are kept, one, because of the Father's electing love and his sovereign plan. The Father, the one that that, that chose us and calls us, and that he has a a plan for you, Christian, a plan to to be saved, to, to be adopted into his family, to be conformed to the image of Christ. As one example of this, let me read to you from Romans 8. And I want this to be an encouragement to you. To those of you that you are hearing this and you feel the devil beating you down, you feel your faith growing, growing faint, I want you to be strengthened by realizing what God is doing. What he definitely, truly is doing in your life. Romans 8, starting with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. This is a description of genuine believers. They're called by him according to his purpose, according to his sovereign plan. God works, changes us from the inside out so that we, we're loving him. And it says God works all things together for good. Now, if you could abandon your faith and lose your salvation and end in hell, things would not be working for your good, and this would not be true. We go on. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. This is, this is your destiny that God has, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, so if you're saved, if you're justified, he also glorified. You will be preserved, and you will reach this final glorification that you have when you are exalted along with with Christ. And it is such a done deal 
that he can say that those he justified, he also glorified. He doesn't let any drop off among the way. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the evidence that we have of this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God is willing to give his son to be killed on the cross for your salvation, he's going to give you perseverance as well. He's going to make sure that you are delivered all the way. We're also, we're kept because of the Father's electing love and sovereign plan. We see here we're also kept because of the Son's merit and his intercession. uh, His blood that was shed for us, which is the payment, which is the price of our salvation. I know sometimes, maybe this has happened to you, gone to uh, Sam's Club and you load up the cart and you're going out and uh, there's something underneath the cart. You bought it, you paid for it, and I've had it where I get home and I realize, what was that? I left it in the cart. I may do that. God doesn't do that. He doesn't pay for something and then leave it at the store. He doesn't save you and then, oh, I forgot to bring you all the way home. He is going to bring you. He's going to deliver you all the way. And in Romans, we also see, we're reminded of the work that Jesus is doing now that he's ascended, that he is interceding for us. He is pleading our case interceding for us and says that in verse 34 who is to condemn jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of god who indeed is interceding for us i think part of what he's doing he's interceding that our faith may not fail the same way he interceded for peter that satan wanted to to sift him but jesus said i pray for you that your faith may not fail and that you will turn back And because of that, Peter did. And finally, the Holy Spirit, each member of the Trinity, they're united in this work. We see the end of the book of Ephesians. It's a great passage there, but I'll just read you starting with verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That when you are are saved, the Holy Spirit does his, uh, this this work. So the third thing, we're kept because of the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration and indwelling and sealing. That he seals us. In those days, if you had a a letter that you wanted to send, you know, they would put wax on it and they would seal it. And no one was allowed to break that seal except for the one, well, the one who sent it, the one who it was intended for, or theoretically someone that was greater. Well, if God is the sender, and if God is the recipient of you who were sealed in the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to be able to break that seal. It is guaranteed, you are guaranteed to be delivered on the day of redemption. You know, I take my kids to a theme park. You know, that requires a ticket, I buy the ticket. And I make sure they don't lose the ticket. 
I make sure they make it in. In the same way, God will keep us to the end. You know, in the next message, we have one more message in the series. And we're going to see that, that perseverance is it's not passive. There are things that are required. It's not a passive thing that we just sit back and, and float on the river. Okay, even though God's grace is working through us. We'll talk about that next time. And we're going to see that we don't want to just barely finish. That's not our goal. The goal is to finish well. Next week's message is fight to finish well. But as a foundation for that, we need to realize that it's God's grace that keeps us going. In Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan's uh, allegory of the, the, the long journey of the Christian life, there's a part where Christian comes to the, the house of the interpreter and says, Then I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand and led him into a place where a fire was burning next to a wall. Standing by the wall was an individual who was continually throwing water on the fire to put it out. Yet the fire just burned higher and hotter. And Christian asked, what does this mean? The interpreter answered, this fire is the work of grace working in the heart. And he who throws water on it to extinguish it and put it out is the devil. But as you see, the fire is burning higher and hotter in spite of it. And you'll be shown the reason for that. And with that, he took Christian around to the other side of the wall and there he saw a man with a jar of oil in his hand, continually and secretly pouring the oil upon the fire. Again, Christian asked, what does this mean? And the interpreter explained, this is Christ, who continually maintains the work already begun in the heart by applying the oil of his grace. Because of this, the souls of his people remain full of grace in spite of what the devil can do. In that you saw the man standing behind the wall to keep the fire burning. That's meant to teach you that it's hard for those tempted to see how this work of grace is continued in the soul. Christian, if you feel the devil trying to extinguish your faith, realize he is. There are many things that are going to be tempting you and trying to get you to, to give up, to quit in your Christian life. But it's not an option. There's nowhere else you could go for salvation. And it's not an option because God is the one keeping you. He is the one holding you fast. As we sometimes sing, When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him 
at such a cost, he will hold me fast. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, the one that holds and keeps us, we give you praise and thanks. We are weak, but you are strong. And we thank you, and we give you praise that you who have began a good work in us will see it to completion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.